0: Looking for a new career but don't want to spend four years in college? Then check out ECPI University. Through our year-round accelerated programs, you can earn a bachelor's degree in just 2.5 years and associates in 1.5 or earn your master's in as little as 15 months. Whether it's technology, healthcare, business, criminal justice, or the culinary arts, our hands-on programs can help you reach your professional goals. So what are you waiting for? Visit ecpi.edu to learn more. Xfinity x X-Fi is more than just fast. It's internet that gives you peace of mind security. Because if it's connected, it's protected. Yeah, even your robot vacuum. Can your internet do that? Learn more at Xfinity.com slash x Hi,
1: I'm Chelsea Handler. Welcome to Life Will Be the Death of Me, a production of iHeartRadio.
2: Welcome back in studio, Chelsea.
1: Oh, well, thank you, Brandon. Thank you for having me back oh, in studio. You're
2: very welcome. It's just nice when I get to see you because you've been out on tour so much.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I like this to touring up.
1: schedule. It's great. Like, I did St. Louis on Friday, which was so much fun. And then Saturday was Minneapolis, two nights a week, like, on the weekends. I can get down with this kind of schedule. You're really Long- into
2: the Midwest towns lately.
1: I do because they're so grateful. They keep thanking you for coming. They just say thank you so much for coming. I saw
2: that you even did, like, you went through the arch. You did some touristy stuff while you were yeah, there.
1: Yeah, it was humid, though. I had to come back from that while. Well, change my underwear. You can
2: only be outside for about 30 minutes when you're in St. Louis. And I know because that's where I'm from.
1: It was. Oh, that's right, Brandon. You know what? I never even put two and two together. That's how self-absorbed I am. I forgot that you're from St. Louis. I always think of you as a North Dakotan.
2: South Dakotan. Oh, close. there you go. (laughs) Doesn't really matter. (laughs) That's
1: called a double whoopsie doodle. Uh,
2: What does matter is this episode with Natasha Leone. Oh, yes. I was very excited. Very sad that I didn't get to go, but excited to hear it.
1: Well, Natasha and I did two shows in New York on the same night. So enjoy. We'll be back after the break. Before I get started and bring out my friend, this is um, a pretty serious chapter. It's called Marijuana Keeps Families Together. Some people are not built for drugs and alcohol. I believe that I am. (laughs) I believe that I am built for the apocalypse. I reconnected with marijuana in my late 30s. As I previously shared, I'm open to most drugs as long as they don't leave you with a hole in your arm or staring through a keyhole of an apartment door looking out for drones. At this stage in my life, I find it prudent to avoid apartments altogether. I loved pot when I first discovered it in high school or pretended I did because it made me look, I thought it made me look cool. But after a few years of recreational abuse, it just ended up leaving me paranoid and self-conscious and in one instance, getting up to leave the theater when a movie ended only to realize I was on an airplane. <laughs> then one year, My family and I were on our annual Christmas ski trip to Whistler, Canada. And our chef made, and that's relatable, right? Our chef made us special adult cookies. Every night my brothers and sisters would line up in the kitchen on our way to dinner and I would dole out a half a cookie to each of them. And if any of my nieces and nephews stole any without me seeing, it was none of my business. Our family thrived that year. Our family doesn't really fight because we're all so exhausted from our childhoods. But it definitely marked the new, uh, beginning of a new era for the Handler family. The legalization of marijuana in California raised standards at dispensaries, the educative component that was lacking for so many years was now available on all store-bought weed. The labeling of strains along with the labeling of THC versus CBD ratios was all right there in black and white. With the advent of medicinal-grade controlled microdosing, there aren't a lot of people I wouldn't recommend cannabis to. I've turned straight arrow people into people I can actually spend time with. (laughs) I've gotten friends who have never done any drugs, friends who've had terrible experiences with edibles, my Mormon sister who's here tonight, people's parents. People's parents, Muslims, and one nun to imbibe. About 90% of the people I've introduced to marijuana are now frequent users. I take a lot of pride in that. (laughs) I take a lot of pride in being an enabler, or a term I'd like to coin, a pharmacological intuitive. (laughs) One who instinctually knows the exact right dosage for each consumer. After Trump was elected, I came the closest I'd ever been to depressed. My anger rose to the surface rather than simmering just beneath it. I had something identifiable to be angry about. So instead of masking it, I treated it. That's when the news started to get fun. (laughs) Kellyanne Conway stoned is a good time. (laughs) It's right up there with Eddie Murphy raw. Same for Sarah Suckabee Sanders. One day Sarah Suckabee Sanders came out for her breast briefing with emerald green eyeshadow shrouding one eye and zero eyeshadow on the other eye. I was like, this is a whole new world. I'd find myself laughing when Chris Matthews would interrupt his guests while spitting all over them. And I started to see the news for what it really was, a 24-hour spin cycle filled with conjecture and speculation about whatever idiotic or racist comment Trump had tweeted that day. I realized that I had allowed this administration to rob me of one year of my life and I wasn't going to give them another. I needed a channel change. The thing that non-cannabis users fail to recognize is the way Cannabis bends your frame of mind. It allows access to a recessed part of your brain that I particularly was deeply uh, needing to engage. How to be less reactive, uh, how to sand down the edges. Those were things I had been working on with my psychiatrist, Dan. As a result, things became slightly more poetic. Less final, end of an empire, my sleep got better, my moods got better, even my dreams got better. I stopped watching the news on a loop and I even started waking up laughing some mornings. (laughs) Pot, politics, and Dan summed up 2018 for me, the year I had to fall apart in order to come back together. I was sitting in Dan's office one Monday morning, telling him how passionate I had become about this new marijuana renaissance. (laughs) My opinions have always felt fully formed, I told Dan. With pot, it feels like they are finally like unfurling. Every canvas is blank. Everyone is so much less annoying. And everything is a little more tolerable when I'm a little bit stoned. And I said, I also don't feel compelled to talk as much. And with my voice, that's a fucking bonus. In what way is everyone so annoying? It was always funny to hear Dan repeat phrases I used, or use the word annoying in a sentence. Annoying seemed like a word that expires after adolescence, like conceited. I liked that I was finally rubbing off on Dan. The thing I'm realizing, Dan, I told him, leaning on one elbow, but missing the arm of the chair and falling into my own lap, (laughs) is that I'm the one that's annoying. (laughs) I'm just now finding out that this whole time I've been the annoying one. Dan stared straight at me and it was hard to discern his take on my new hobby. I went on, I used to think that something was wrong with every person in this world and now I know I'm the one with the problem. Everyone seems so much more interesting, I explained to him. I don't think you should judge yourself so harshly, Dan said. This was a phrase Dan repeated to me frequently and one I've never quite gotten on board with. I do, I told him. I feel like that's what's been missing this whole time, circling around other people in in order to avoid myself. I deserve to be on the receiving end of my own judgment. It's my comeuppance. And it's like this little porthole into a whole new world has opened up. When I'm stoned, I can find joy in shaving my legs. (laughs) This was when I realized I was stoned. (laughs) I had popped a chocolate-covered Kiva Blueberry on my way out the door that morning. I don't usually take them in the morning, but I had therapy and thought, fuck it. (laughs) That's my favorite thing about edibles. Forgetting you've taken any, and then you feel this little psychological twinkle, and suddenly things get just a wee bit more dynamic. (laughs) we lit up my curiosity in things I hadn't been interested in for years. That's what I was missing, getting lost in life a little bit more. Dan told me that if I could access that state of mind when I was high, it was already part of my psyche, which meant that I could access it without anything at all or through meditation. I'm not there yet, I told him. <laughs> I'm gonna stick with the weed right now. I'd been trying to, um, for months to meditate and it was going nowhere fast. I could only do forced meditation when I was with Dan. He made me short recordings of meditations and long recordings of meditations. And I'd try to do it for a few days at home and then I'd forget or I'd remember and then forget. Not only is it easier for me to be around other people, I told him, it's definitely easier for people to be around me. I'm able to have conversations with people I never had the patience to listen to before. I'm so much less judgy. Everything becomes a little bit softer, a little bit less apocalyptic. No black and white, more middle, more pleasant. Well, that's great, he said. I don't have a problem with you taking edibles. And I said, the other good news is it's cut my drinking in half. (laughs) This was a sentence I thought would never come out of my mouth. So I wanna be very, very clear. This, I have no intention now or in any future of giving up alcohol. Thank you for your support. Okay, this is not a book where I get sober at the end. (laughs) However, cutting my drinking in half was an unexpected perk and that is when I started to get serious about cannabis. I'd been approached by um, various weed companies to start my own line of cannabis products, but I didn't want to jump on the bandwagon until I had done due diligence and fully investigated what was available on the market. This meant that it had became my job to know everything about every available oil, weed, candy, bath salt, herb, and food item that contained cannabis. I was sitting around my house in Los Angeles one weekend with my brother, Glenn, and my sister, Shauna, who are in the audience tonight, doling out the new edibles that I wanted them to try. Chelsea, Glenn asked me, dripping in sarcasm, would you consider yourself a medical practitioner? (laughs) No, I think of myself as more of a pharmacological intuitive, I said, testing out the term in everyday usage. (laughs) I have a history of helping people, Glenn, yourself included. So why don't you shut the fuck up and take this edible? (laughs) Glenn and I both suffer from psoriasis on our skin, but only one of us had clear skin until I shared with Glenn the prescription that had knocked it out of my system. Two doxycycline, twice a day, 10 days. Never on an empty stomach. I gave the very same prescription to my hairstylist when she had a terrible bout of acne. Twice a day, 10 days, never on an empty stomach. Glenn no longer has psoriasis, and my hairstylist no longer has acne. And there are several African villagers who now have the cure to malaria. My sister Simone is required to give formal presentations at work, which makes her nervous. Her anxiety causes dry mouth, so I gave her a bottle of propranolol, which is a beta blocker that cuts off the signal from your neurotransmitters that tells your brain it's anxious. <laughs> Thank God we have a doctor in the family, Simone said after a second promotion. My area of expertise isn't only limited to cannabis and pharmaceuticals. I have had a 100% success rate, helping many women, friends who prior to my intervention hadn't gotten number two in years, <laughs> become regular. Women in particular struggle with regularity, so it is important to have bowel movement advocates out there. There are over-the-counter calcium magnesium pills called MAG07 from Aerobic Life. And if you start with four each night, typically by day three, you will start to have regular bowel movements. They do not pay me. This is a public service announcement. (laughs) At that point, once you start going regularly, I usually advise patients to reduce their intake to three pills in order to avoid morning diarrhea. Breast inflammation before your period? Rose hips, once a day for a month. My cousin Molly told me that one. Hangovers to Excedrin, and the headache will be gone in less than 10 minutes. Caffeine is the antidote to headaches caused by alcohol, and Excedrin contains caffeine. I would like them to pay me to promote them because that's something I would do. If you've been drinking milk, thistle helps if you take it before you go to bed, but it's hard to remember to take something when you're shit-faced. All in all, My point is, I've had an incredible track record with curing people, and the only mistakes I make are usually with myself. Like the time I swallowed a yeast infection pill that was supposed to be administered vaginally. (laughs) After speaking with my doctor on the phone, I waited expectantly in the 48 hours that followed for a loaf of bread to pop out of my mouth. (laughs) I know if people have the personality for Xanax or if they will do better on a lighter sleeping pill like Sonata, generic brand is Leplon. I also know that Xanax isn't a sleeping pill, but that's what I used it for. <laughs> Adderall is good for some people, but too much for certain personality types. High energy people like me do not need Adderall, no matter how tired you are, unless you want to wake up in the middle of the night cracking your fucking knuckles. <laughs> but if you do like Adderall, what's even better is ProVigil or New Vigil. That's what people in the government and the military use when they travel through different time zones. Pro Vigil is the best thing I've ever taken for jet lag or if I really need to focus on something. But again, if you have a knuckle cracking problem, which everyone in my family has, just start with a half. There's nothing I love more than hopping on an international flight, popping a Xanax, and sleeping for 12 hours straight, but I've become so disgusted with the pharmaceutical industry in this country that I have redirected that passion and dedication into the healthier alternative, cannabis. (laughs) Chelsea, Glenn said, putting his fork down, you should be a late stage companion. That's something you could do, you're fun. (laughs) Something activity-based so you can, you know, be moving somewhere by the mountains or a pool. Older men seem to be drawn to you. You'd get hired all the time. (laughs) Who's in the late stage, I asked him, me or the companion? (laughs) The companion, Shauna said, always the companion. You have a lot in common with older people. He's got a good idea. Then my brother said, this can be the perfect foil for your identity crisis, Chelsea, since you can no longer date older guys, this is a way you can still hang out with them all the time. (laughs) The reason I can't date older guys is because now they're too fucking old, I'm 44, so I gotta lower the margin and get in my own age group, which is tough. Glenn wiped his mouth and took a sip of Mike's Hard Lemonade, which he had brought to my house. (laughs) Glenn and I are a lot alike. We find something we like and then we abuse it for two months and then we're on to the next thing. Glenn was having a Mike's Heart lemonade renaissance and although I was repulsed, I understood it. (laughs) Chelsea Glenn said, in your your professional opinion, what procedure do you think Donald Trump is getting to make his face look like it does? (laughs) What do you mean, I asked. I don't think he's actually getting work done to look that bad. I mean, what he should be doing is resurfacing the texture of his skin and at the very least getting the fat sucked out from underneath his eyes and maybe lipo, but he obviously can't even see clearly if he thinks that's what he's presenting is even presentable. I mean, obviously we're not going to get through to this guy. His ass is the size of my dog, Bert's. So I think that should be uh, the first thing on his to-do list. You don't think he's doing stuff to his mouth, Glenn asked. He was being serious, so I looked up. Like what? Is there some sort of surgical procedure or face treatment that makes your mouth look more like an anus? (laughs) I had to think about that when my brother asked me that question. I don't know anything about a procedure to make your mouth smaller. or face treatment that makes your mouth look more like an anus, or anus-like. I'm not sure what the vernacular is here. He may think it looks good, Chelsea Glenn reminded me. It's as if his mouth keeps getting tighter and tighter and smaller, (laughs) smaller. I liked the idea of Donald Trump sewing his mouth closed one surgical procedure at a time. This country's had a rough year, Glenside. Men have had a rough year, Shauna said, and you fucking deserve it, it sounds like. I said, you only have yourselves to blame. It's a rap on old white men. <laughs> well, not all old white men, just a bunch of them. <laughs> yeah, Shauna said, walking back to the table with a frozen ham in her hands. She wanted to know if I was saving the ham for a special occasion. She was definitely stoned if she wanted to cook a ham, so I redirected my attention back to the only male in the room. Let me tell you a little story about men, Glenn, okay? Every week I go to the nail salon where I get a massage on my forearms after my manicure, and that is the closest I have ever in my life come to understand what it feels like to get a hand chop. I want a climax in that salon. I want to let loose and just let them rub me and just let it rip. I want that. But I don't do it. Because I'm not a fucking pig. That's the difference between men and women. We are more prone to controlling ourselves. Yes, Glenn agreed, most women are, but I would place you in the category of people who have trouble controlling themselves. It's a very good thing you weren't born with male genitalia. I can guarantee that if I were, you would still never find me jerking off into a fucking plant. (laughs) Who did that, he asked. I don't know, one of these guys, Louis C.K. or Harvey Weinstein, one of them jerked off into a plant. I mean, seriously, when does it come to that? (laughs) I'm stoned high, drunk, and stoned, Shauna said with a frozen ham tucked into her armpit. You're not drunk, I reassured her, and guided her upstairs to my bathroom where I placed the frozen ham on the floor of the infrared sauna and told Shauna it would be ready first thing in the morning. (laughs) Is that thing even on, she asked. Yes, I told her as I guided her to my bed. How do you feel, I said as we climbed into bed. Super warm and fuzzy, she told me. I got out my medical journal and I made a note of her condition. Are you hungry? I asked her. I had been working tirelessly on isolating the right strain of marijuana that doesn't give you the munchies. (laughs) I'm not hungry, she said. The ham just reminded me of something mom would have made us at Christmas. I said, oh, do you feel sad? Took out my medical notebook again. (laughs) No, just warm and fuzzy. We lay in my bed holding hands, looking out at the backyard, lit by the lanterns, hanging in my trees. I felt grateful in that moment that I was lying next to my sister, and for all the gifts that life had given me, and for all the girls life had given me. I just want everything to go on forever, I told Shauna, and then I stuck my finger in her butt. When are we going to be too old to act like this, she asked me, giggling. We'll never be too old to act like this, I told her. Then she yawned and said, just because I get colonics doesn't mean you can treat me like shit. And then she rolled over and fell asleep. Thank you. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Okay, so anybody who wants to get therapy or anybody who's interested in therapy, it is available to you online. Anybody who is listening to this podcast is obviously interested in the subject matter. And if you don't have your own uh, therapist already, there is online counseling for you. It's called BetterHelp. It offers licensed professional counselors who are specialized in all sorts of issues like depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping, trauma, anger, family conflicts, grief, self-esteem, and more. Uh, You can get all of this online in a safe and private environment. Anything you share is confidential and it's very convenient. So you can schedule secure video or phone sessions plus chat and text with your therapist. And if you're not happy with your counselor,
2: You can request a new one at any time.
1: That's right. Best of all, it's a truly affordable option. And for Life Will Be the Death of Me listeners, you get a 10% off your first month with the discount code CHELSEA. So why not start today? Go. I'm going to. Okay, we'll go, Brandon. Betterhelp.com slash CHELSEA. I'm very grateful to my friend that's, who I've known for many years, and she's always been somebody that I've uh, watched, because you could watch her for hours. And uh, she just had a very, very successful run with her new show, Russian Doll, which I know everybody knows about. So please welcome Natasha Leone. I mean business. Business attire, thank you for dressing so professionally. You know, the tables
3: have turned, Chelsea. And so this is gonna be my big uh, Larry King come out party is how I see it. And I wanna watch you individually peel each one of these oranges. And we're gonna be here for seven hours. Uh, The book is great. I've read the book. Thank you for reading the book. And I've come prepared. I'm going to put these on even though I'm actually nearsighted, but I'm looking forward to becoming farsighted because then you can do this move, which I think always makes people seem smart and old. And then then you can kind of do this. But I just want to remind you, I can see perfectly at this distance. It's up there I would need it for. So, uh, you know, I've prepared some flashcards and I've told you about the rotunda, which is a game we're going to be playing later. Uh, okay, so uh, Chelsea, I'm saying it right? Yeah, no, yes. it's... <laughs> it's Tracy. <laughs> it's, oh, so it's Tracy,
1: but spelled with a CH. Yes. Yes, that's interesting. And a Y and an apostrophe yeah. at the end.
3: Yeah, I'm not surprised though, because I've heard a lot about uh, your childhood. This is... It's, uh, it's hard having a childhood, isn't it?
1: It's hard. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard spending your adulthood getting over your childhood, isn't for sure. That-
3: now this is my sort of big beef with therapy. Uh, this is not on the flashcards. Um, but I'm like, Jesus, what do you want from me? Like my entire life is gonna be unpacking this fucking, you know, 10 year event? What a bummer.
1: Why is this my problem? I didn't do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? I know what you mean. Are you <laughs> talking about the ten years being your childhood? Yes. Oh, so well, you had a short childhood, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's yeah. even easier to get over, I guess. I if guess you think so. about it Like that.
3: Yeah, by eleven, you know what? I mean, the you know, workforce and uh, <laughs> fax machines. That's why they have, you know, fax machines you and bellhouses. You had to grow houses. up very quick. Yeah.
1: You, were, you were on TV and stuff, and yes, you...
3: but also running an office. <laughs> A- an office supply chain store, which I, it's, you know, more common. People talk about, oh, you're a child actor. Nobody talks about my time at Staples as a kid. Yeah.
1: No, I didn't know about Staples. Yeah, Thank you. It's for not as glamorous, us.
3: but it was important to me. And that's where I first fell in love with paper clips. So I'm going to remove this one in honor. Uh, okay. Let me have a sip of Tracy. this. Tracy. Uh, now, uh, do you really have. 250 grand set aside for your funeral? I mean, that's big money, right? I set
1: $250,000 aside for my funeral a long time ago just mm-hmm. because I wanted to have a great funeral and I wanted mm-hmm. to make sure it was done well and I wanted it to be a celebration. Uh huh. And I took it seriously because so many people don't think about that and I thought if I could if I die tragically, which is a possibility, I want to be prepared yeah. and I don't want to stress out my family. And I want, you know, I want to invite all the people that loved me and all the people who didn't. I want everyone to go to this party. I want little people, I want mushrooms, I want little people on mushrooms. Yeah. I just want a big blowout, but now that I've become a little bit more uh, uh, awakened, or I don't know, that word sounds still, I have have trouble with that word Mm -hmm. a little bit, even though that's kind of how I feel, Mm -hmm. I feel like that money should probably go to the NAACP or something. Mm -hmm. Instead of having another blowout party, just a thought. Uh, Or uh, both is an idea. Or I have my party at the NAACP. (laughs)
3: Time allowing, and uh, you know, uh, are you opposed to throwing some of that cash my way? Maybe a joint funeral.
1: We could have a joint funeral. That would be fun. I mean, we'd have. Yeah, I don't see why that people Uh, are doing that. uh, Okay, now so how
3: does that work? We Uh, have to coordinate our deaths. That's what I'm thinking now. Or with a kind gesture. Uh, therapeutically speaking, the uh, empathetic gesture. Yes. Whoever dies first, the other person waits and holds the funeral. (laughs) However long.
1: Yeah. You know, 5,
3: 10, 15 years or
1: minutes, Uh right? Right. That seems fair. Yeah. Okay, ideas. Ideas. You know who else did that? So if I die first, you plan my funeral and then do you get, where's the money? With your money. Uh, Okay. So
3: what's most important here is the money and I think we shouldn't lose sight of that.
1: You know who else did that? Uh,
3: uh, The late, great Nora Ephron. She she? uh, well, I don't know how much she spent or how much money she put aside, but she had a file going her whole life, and it was like it's got a great name. Uh, It's sort of like the final uh, movie or something.
1: Final, yeah, uh, the sunset. Final movie. I feel like it was (laughs) probably better than
3: that. Right, Uh, the last movie, which is actually uh, maybe a Dennis (laughs) Hopper sort of a Terry Southern movie, but we won't get into that. Well, this we've covered. It's a series of additional funeral questions. uh, DJs, destination funerals, and so on. Do you have a DJ
1: you'd like to use at your wedding? I mean, funeral? Uh, (laughs) I actually am planning a wedding funeral, so it's not even,
3: uh, you know, a Freudian slip. So that's when I'm getting married, is uh, on my deathbed. It's going to be very romantic. uh, And there will be a DJ, yes. Um... It's important to know, is there anyone, you know, besides Donald Trump, who I don't care to insult clearly, uh,
1: that you don't
3: want? At my funeral? At your funeral, yes. Like, if you would like to name names of some other people oh, I see, that I are see. on your no, hit list, but you don't have to, and I won't murder them, as I would not, I'm not, I'm not actually like a soprano, I just talk tough, and the... It's an important distinction, but if there's anybody that you don't want at your
1: funeral, you know what I'm saying? You just let me know, and I'll make sure they're not at your funeral, okay? Aren't you pissed (laughs) that you weren't on The Sopranos? (laughs) I'm uh, at all times pissed that I'm like, where's my mafia (laughs) picture?
3: Because I'm so... So ready. Um, I don't know.
1: I don't hate anybody that much. I don't care about hating people as much as I used to. So it's a, I, I'm trying out a new philosophy where even if someone doesn't like me, I like them. Yeah. And that's a, that's a fun game to play. That you is know? truly enlightened. It's like, oh. That's
3: truly, yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm trying it out and I like
3: it. Do you think you're going to die young? Sort of left field, huh? <laughs> <laughs> it's just, uh, slipping it in. It's just the tip. We're okay. You can't get pregnant from just the tip. We all know that. Tell your kids. That's right.
1: Yeah, that's correct, everybody. Yeah. Do you think so? No. You no, don't. No. You can get pregnant from the tip. Yeah. Were you really? You were pregnant at 16? I was pregnant a couple times at 16. Yeah. Mom, I had mommy, a ru- tw- more than once. More than once. Yeah.
3: Same guy. Different.
1: Yeah, I had a black boyfriend in high school. His name was Tyshawn. He's actually in my new documentary that's coming out about white privilege, um, mm-hmm. my own specifically. And mm-hmm. I always thought, like, I always thought white privilege meant you know you were from like a family. like you had trust funds, and you were from the Rockefeller family, and you went to Harvard. Like I, assu- I identified white privilege like that. And it wasn't until um, after the election. Mm-hmm that I really just started to think about my own privilege in a way that I hadn't noted, like hadn't understood before. I, and I, I was embarrassed because of all the success I've had and how easily it came to me. Yeah, I worked hard and we all work hard, but it was, I got rewarded for a lot of bad behavior and that wouldn't have happened to somebody who didn't look like me. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so I went and revisited Tyshawn mm-hmm. for this documentary because we got arrested three times while we were together. Ah, for what? I didn't get arrested. He got arrested for a dime bag of pot. He got, every time he got caught, I was with, oh, not every time. Who knows how many other times, but the three times I was with him, each time the police officer said, okay, miss, you get out of this neighborhood and go home. And, and they, he was arrested. So he had a full scholarship to UNLV University to play basketball. And he was not able to go because of those three infractions, Jeez. which were stupid. But I mean, a white person gets away with that. I got away with it. And he then spent 14 years incarcerated, and his whole life was ruined. And so I saw him in the documentary. I read, like, we visit his family and get his story and hear about it because I just walked out of his world and was like, okay, I'm done with this phase of my life. I'm done, I'm done with my black phase. I'm gonna go back to my family, you know? And I just left, and I could. And I never thought about that until the election. I didn't think about a lot of things until the election. You know, I thought, Oh, we elected Barack Obama. Great, racism is over. And I thought we were going to elect um, Hillary Clinton. And I thought, great, feminism, is that's a fight we don't have to do much of anymore. So when those two things backfired, <laughs> I woke up. And I started to look around and ask the questions. And it was embarrassed that it took me this long to get here, but I'm b- happy to be late to the party than to never show up at all. And... <clears throat> And I think that we all have to wake up. The world's only getting browner and gayer, so you better fucking hop on board before you miss the bus.
3: Indeed. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think about that. I think about a lot, you know, especially because um, the the prison show I'm on, I'm not making it about me, uh, but you know, it's uh, early on. I think I would really identify. I was like, oh yeah, I know how to be on this show because I've like spent time in various holding cells, and you know what I mean. Like uh, you know, I mean, I've. Done Did you get arrested a lot in your real life? Uh, you know, more than once. Yeah. Less than uh, more uh, times. The <laughs> ten and less. Less, um, hmm. yeah, expunged. Um, so, uh, the, uh, cut to the end of the story, uh, without details. You know, I too spend a, a, a great deal of time, uh, you know, thinking it, you about know, this. You it's, know,
1: it's like you know, people say, and we went on this documentary, we went to the south and you know, all the places where you find races, and um, and which are everywhere in every city. And you know, it ended up being in my own backyard. LA is the most segregated city in the world. I live in Bel Air. Like, who am I, what am I thinking that I'm diverse? I live in the whitest place in the country. I mean, I don't know if there's a whiter place. Maybe Winter Park. I'm also something very Jewish. What? Bel Air. Oh, well, I'm not hanging Mm -hmm. out with the Jews. But yeah, Yeah. it's very Jewish and very white. But, you know, you don't look around. You don't think about that. When I was doing this documentary and people were asking me about that, I was like, oh, yeah, I went to Santa Monica from New Jersey where I had one black kid in my school. And then I moved to Santa Monica and then Brentwood and then... I moved to Bel Air. So, w- you know, you think you know what privilege is or you know what you're su- who you're surrounding yourself with or I'm not guilty of that, I'm not guilty of that. We're all a little bit guilty of not being better allies and advocates to people of color. We're all a little bit, we can all do better. Mm-hmm. And so that's a big, you know, that's a good thing to know when you're moving forward in something in your life. And my work especially, that needs to be, you know, front and center. Mm-hmm. Because here, I've been here. because I've been spoiled, and I realize that. Well, yeah, but, you know,
3: uh, strong agree, Chelsea. Strong agree. Um, <laughs> uh, but but uh, genuinely, and, and uh, yeah, I hate it all. I hate um, I hate tokenism. I hate the more subtle forms of uh, white supremacy that we see. Uh, I hate seeing it uh, in in movies. I I fucking hate it. Uh, so well done.
1: Okay, well, this sounds like a good time to take a break.
3: There's always a long to-do list of projects you want to make happen. Maybe you want to make a more modern color happen, or make a more fun kitchen happen, or make a cozier bedroom happen. Maybe you want to make walls that can hold up to the dog's paws, your bike's tires, and the occasional temper tantrum happen. We know you want to make under budget happen. Whatever it is you want to make happen, Valspar is here to help, because every drop of Valspar paint is formulated to look great, last long, and help you get the job done right. Valspar, you make it happen, we make it possible. Available at Lowe's.
0: Effective care is built on connections. During COVID 19, Vitas Healthcare is using telehealth to strengthen the connections between hospice patients, families, and clinicians. Over a secure video call, Vitas experts can assess your patient, accept hospice referrals, conduct goals of care conversations, and provide clinical support whenever and wherever necessary. To simplify social distancing, we also deliver medical equipment, supplies, and medications right to the patient's home, whether home is a traditional residence, nursing home, assisted living facility, or inpatient unit. Your patient deserves comfort and dignity near the end of life. VITAS can help them achieve both with 24-7, 365 telehealth support. That's the VITAS Advantage. To learn more, go to VITAS.com Advantage. That's V-I-T-A-S dot com slash advantage.
3: What is the most interesting place
1: that you have traveled to? Africa. Africa. Mm. I mean, Africa really feels like you're on another planet. You get there and yeah. you're like, holy shit. Yeah. There's fucking giraffes and, so and elephants. Iceland. Huh? Iceland, too. I've been... But, a- sorry.
3: Yeah. Is what? Well, it feels very much like another
1: planet on a very space. Yeah, Iceland feels more like Game of Thrones. Yeah. Right? I love that show. They yeah. have shark on the menu and whale. I'm like, I don't think so, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Food is bad in Iceland. Where in Africa have you been? Been on safari like three times. And mm-hmm. I've been... Um, to Botswana, South Africa, uh, I think both times. Yeah, I went back to South Africa on the last time. I think that was one of those trips where you just can't, you can't believe what you're looking at. You're just yeah. like, oh my God. And you just go on, I mean, you could watch a lion for 10 hours straight. I'm not, I love my dogs, but I'm not like this animal activist. You know what I mean? Like I don't, I'm not gonna hurt an animal, but like I'm not going nuts about it. Would you define yourself as a hunter? <laughs> <laughs> JK.
3: Um, so, I just got back. I was in uh, Nigeria. I was in Ghana. Fucking great. Really. How was Ghana? What went what, what down there? Uh, so, it's a, so, first of all, uh, aesthetically speaking, uh, the, with a filmmaker's eye, which is what I have, ladies and gentlemen, uh, it is so fucking good looking because It's just like sort of, it's very like 60s, sort of low buildings. It almost has a kind of a Cuba vibe. It's very, very gorgeous. It's like a European city. Uh, And we went to the Kwame Museum, which is so good looking. Uh, And uh, then in Accra, we went to the slave castles, and this is a very, very heavy journey to go down. Um, and uh, really understand in ways you're talking about, you know, the weight uh, of uh, the world that we're actually living in. You know, they have this uh, museum there and you kind of see all, these, all the heavyweights are there. It's Marcus Garvey and uh, you know, Malcolm X and Martin Luther King and, and you see the way in which uh, America, the world at large, time and time again, just fucking shut it down, and uh, it's harrowing. And to understand that, uh, you know, um, it's almost, uh, feels like there's the, the idea of the ongoing crime that is our current prison system um, is is very uh, tough to take.
1: Who did you take that trip with?
3: Um, I went with uh, Uzo Aduba uh, from Orange is a New Black. and. Um, <laughs> I know you were with Laura Prepon last night, and then you said Taylor last week. I've been having a renaissance. Of yes, Orange is the New Black. Yeah, and uh, as of I constantly, but it's not less a renaissance; it's more of an existence. Let's say um, well, you're also on the show. Yes, so yes, you I, know, I am. Have to and be there. Um, and so we went, and you know, and Uzo's Nigerian, so we went to Lagos. So it was great. There's so much great art happening. There's a thriving uh, filmmaking scene out there. And uh, we also did some global citizen stuff uh, that she's involved in. And, um, but yeah, like by th- this uh, Ghana and the slave castles, and, and coming back to uh, America, landing at JFK, and going, like, you know, getting your this what sort a of Hamilton bills out of the fucking ATM machine. You're like, what is this fucking scumbag? Um, it's very, uh, you know, crystallizing and also just gorgeous. But then also like, oh, that's right. That's why they called it the Ivory Coast or the Gold Coast. It's, it's very, it's a heavy. That's an important heavy trip s- to take, though. Yeah. Sounds like it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think when you are opened up to all these things, you know, and part of like the last couple of years for me, it's like once you're awake to everything that's going on around you, first of all, it's an opportunity to be more grounded and to be more still and to actually pay attention instead of filling up. For me, my issue is filling everything up with noise. You know, if if anything's too serious, I'll make the joke. If somebody stops talking, I'll start, you know, and that kind of cycle and that perpetual motion, which is kinetic motion, which really never allows you to look around. There's too many, you know. You know, there are too many important trips and and moments like that that you have to really not only just be there for and be aware of in the moment, but after the fact to reflect upon what you've learned and to see what you can do as a human being to make a contribution that's going to be valuable. Mm -hmm. So I am all for taking those trips multiple times, you know? Well, and I love that early in the
3: book, uh, you reference one of my favorite books of all time, the only uh, book I walked into the Russian Doll writer's room with, which is Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. Um, but I mean what a great, what a great book and uh, what a great source material for writing comedy there, um, was a,
1: there, was, yeah. there was a line in the book that I referenced in my book in, in, in Victor Frankl's book called A Man's Search for Meaning that when I read it it made me like, look up at the sky and think whoa what the fuck am I doing with my life and it was stop asking what you expect out of life and start asking what life expects out of you and I was like Oh, I I had to read that to think it. You know, yeah. I was like, how lost am I if I've never even thought about what anyone's expecting out of me? I was thinking about what I'm going to get. Yeah. You know, like take, take, Which take. Which I think
3: is fair and normal and kind of like happens for each of us in its right time, right? Like the truth is, is uh, you know, there's even an underlying sort of lucky stroke to having the opportunity to kind of investigate self. You know, I think Yeah, that that's privilege. Going is, to a psychiatrist for a year is privilege. Yeah, but you know, when it is a, um, a hand-to-mouth to existence, I think it's harder to really take this time, but, you know, but but if, for Victor Frankl, for, for context, of course, he was, a, I think, an Auschwitz survivor to the Holocaust, and uh, he then sort of got out of there alive and started, had to rethink his life in terms of, what, how do I sort of string a life back together after what I just saw and what human beings are capable of? And he came up with a system called logotherapy that was this idea of trying to sort of, you know, that man is doomed to a sort of existential morass of uh, endless horror internally unless they can kind of pinpoint this thing. Which is great and important. Now, you sent your dogs um, Bert and uh,
1: Bonice. Oh, my two big fat fucks. Yeah. I have a dog now that's so fat, it's like if you could turn Chewy into a dog, that's what I would have turned him into. They so, his body has yeah. all these different pockets of meat, like just when you think there's no more fat left, there's something under his thigh, uh, you know, and he's one of those dogs I had to shave when I got him, because I had to see what I was dealing with. I was like, let's yeah. get down to business with this body, and I yeah. was very excited about what I found. Yeah, that's how I felt when I
3: met Divine. Um you know what I'm talking about. Well, I, Yeah, I do. I don't have a child, but I imagine that if I did and there was a nanny, uh, I, would, I would resent the nanny and I would say, I'm your mother. I truly believe. I think believe it's great. Wait, I, wanna, you, yes. I want yes, you to, yes, please. Because I think
1: it's very important for women, all women, now that women are thinking about having children instead of just having them, that it's, good, yi to, yi. It, it's good to say to people about why you don't want to have them. Yeah, because I'll, I'll tell, tell you it's, why. I'll tell you. I'll <laughs> give you a whole list. Yeah. No,
3: I, for me, I actually think that children should be the great anomaly. It should be this kind of like shocking radical, like, Holy fuck! did you hear that Ben had a kid? <laughs> what the fuck this guy? Oh my God! yes, with the Ben and Tina, they made up good for them. What a bunch of freaks like they I mean they really must want to do this thing instead, I think we have this bizarre epidemic happening where uh everybody's like hell bent on. Uh, oh, congratulations, you know, you're over 25, uh, where's, uh, so where's this partner? Oh, good, you found this partner, now you when's the marriage? Oh, good, now you got the, where's the baby? It's like, what, and then you see the statistics, it's like, where's the divorce, you know what I mean? And where's the children that are like, you know, out there being like, uh, can somebody look out for me? Because uh, I'm a fucking person. And you have all these sort of unqualified... I, I just think for the sake of the children.
1: <laughs> and nobody loves children more than me. For the sake me. of the children, don't have them, is what you're saying, I, I, I think. I, you know, I think
3: that some people should totally... Like, I have some friends, and I'm like, holy shit, your fucking destiny was to be a mother you should clearly be procreating. Do you know what I mean? Like, it was so much a fabric of their lifeblood. And then I see, uh, you know, sometimes other people who are just sort of like lost or more relevant to the the moment that we're in, which is this nightmare of kind of, uh, you know, um, men dictating when or when not uh, women should be allowed to have uh, their own sort of personal freedoms and existence in this life. So that I... uh, Find wildly problematic, of course. Um, you know, I think it should be a very, a, a choice with great intent and not a series of like accidents in an effort to be like, eh, maybe we should break up or have a kid. Like, I think that that's fucking
1: weird. And I think uh, people do that all, all the, the time. time. Or people get pregnant and they're like, my girlfriend was like, oh, she was 40, and she's like, I'm pregnant, I guess I have to have it now. And I'm like, why? And she's like, because I'm 40, how can I get an abortion at 40? I'm like, uh, it's better than being a bad parent, so go yeah. get one. What do you mean? Like, and if you don't want the baby, you don't have a baby if you don't want desperately to have a baby. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, I, I,
3: I want them to have kids when they yeah. really fucking want it, but like, it's a big, it's not a pair of shoes. You know what I'm saying? It's not like, uh, eh, changed my mind and I can't walk in them. It's like, what the fuck are you doing? And... Delia, I remember one time I was like, Yeah, and you know, I got this boyfriend, I'm on the show, and da 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 and I think I want to start a production company, I want to be a director, I think I'm gonna like write stuff. And and I was like, But fuck, Delia, do you think I should like make embryos or what should I do? Because like, I got to figure that out. And she was like, Whoa, you know, she was like, Not everybody has to do everything, you know, um, that there's this kind of hang up around for women that there's almost like this additional burden of, okay, I've got X, Y, Z kind of dream, and also I'm gonna take on this other full-time job, which is to do this thing, and just the idea of, like, I don't know, maybe someday I will sort of decide to have a kid and some variation, adopt it. I don't know what the future holds, but this idea that it was this burden on my 30s of a uh, decision that had to be made when, meantime, you know, I had a boyfriend in his 40s who was not stressing about it at all felt like a very unfair albatross to be carrying around. So I think in general, I just sort of let go of it and sort of felt like this is something that will sort of be a more will be revealed and it can kind
1: of, you know, let that child (laughs) find me. <laughs> yeah, good luck. Find me. You yeah. can adopt kids in different countries now you know what too. I'm saying? You know, there's a lot
3: of fucking ways. And you can to be involved.
1: Like I like to do that. that it's better baby. that I'm not present with the kid. It's better that I'm just paying for things. You know. Yeah. I know what my strengths and weaknesses are. But you feel concretely like you're like no babies for this baby. No, no, I don't want, I'm not interested in that at all. It's never been of interest to me. I come from a big family, and I thought yeah. if I was going to have one kid, I'd want six, just yeah. like I grew up with. And yeah. um, it, no, I just, know it's not a good use of my time. I'm better, better without that. I, I have come to grips with the fact that it's okay to say I want to be in a relationship. Like, that's yeah. my mature, that's my thing. Like, oh, I worked so hard for so long trying to be so independent and so fierce and so tough, and I didn't know that that was a direct, had a direct correlation to my childhood, to the fact that my brother died when I was nine years old and looked me in the eye and said, I'll be back. Don't worry, I'll never leave you with these people. And, and died. So my feeling about relying on another person from a very young age, I didn't give it enough credit because I was nine, I didn't know anything. It may seem obvious discussing it or looking at someone else's story and going, obviously that's why she's fucked up. But it, when you're in it, you don't know it and i let it rip in a way that i had never been able to do in my entire life i was never able to tell somebody that i was in pain i couldn't be in pain because i was too strong to be in pain and for someone like me you know when you get you know you don't think you have a, a, a right to complain you have access to anything you need you're successful i have a tv show in my name i have books in my name i didn't think i had a right to be in pain and i didn't think i had a right to complain and what I learned by going and and stopping my work and doing everything I can to get myself into a healthy place that you are of no use to anyone until you're fucking healthy. And that's when you're like, oh, oh, I can be a good friend now. I can look out for empathy now. I can get my shit together now and all the patterns of behavior that are c- from that period in time, period of time in your life. You know, the scorching earth if somebody pisses me off, I'm like they're out, they're out. Like I had this pattern of of r- ruining friendships or ending friendships on a dime. And when I told Dan about that, I said, you know, I, I don't know why I do this. I can't forgive anybody. And he said, because this is your blueprint of how a relationship ends. Your brother told you he was coming back, and he left. So he was alive one day, and he was gone tomorrow. That's what you think. That's how you think relationships end. And I was like, holy shit. That is what I'm doing. That is what I'm doing. I'm just, that's my blueprint. That's how I think. So Dan was able to show me a blueprint, like about patience, about going into an airport and paying for things in a normal way, (laughs) not shoplifting and giving them the money under the table or whatever. about making eye contact with every stranger that talks to me or, you know, that I see and not rushing through life and and not taking a shortcut through your grief because the only way through it is fucking through it. And there's no hopscotching around it and there's no way to get around it. So for me, it was so so strengthening to have a man sit across from me that I could cry in front of, a, And, you know, and then I got really good at crying. I was like, oh, I was just crying all the time. And I was writing this book, and I was in airports, crying, just in public, like, "Ah." and and people would come over and be like, are you okay? I'm like, my brother died, I'm writing a book. (laughs) Fuck, leave me alone. Yes, I'm gonna be okay. And the catharsis that came along with it was just, I had to share it because I'm a different person. And I feel, my friend's like, oh, this is like an apology tour. I'm like, no, no. (laughs) But I feel like, you know, so vibrant in a way that I hadn't for so long. And taking that, talk about an albatross around your neck, taking something that you've had, an injury for that, that you've had for so long and being able to release it and not be mad at my brother for dying?" He goes, you're mad, you were rejected. He goes, you felt rejected, and I said, yeah, but he died. It was an accident. He goes, but not to your nine-year-old brain. Your nine-year-old brain interprets that as somebody being bored with you, or leaving you, or choosing another family because they have a sister, a little sister that's cuter or more fun to be around. So it was a big lesson, and it was a big, You know, it was a big moment for me to write. Since I've made a career of oversharing so many things, I thought, why not overshare something positive and good? So uh, to circle back to the baby component of it, at the end of it, I was like, because everything comes back to my brother Chet, you know, in therapy, whenever we talk, I'd be like, i have like this guy's shoes, I can't date him, the fucking shoes, to the, the, and I said it about the baby, I go, am I, is this all, what about the baby thing? And he's like, no, I genuinely think you don't like children, so. <laughs> so once I got his stamp of approval, I was like, all right, I'm on my way out. The price seemed like such a
3: relief, huh? To get like yeah, a Yeah, I was like, authority. shit, if I have to
1: get pregnant now too, I'm gonna be so bummed. 44 and pregnant. We have to wrap up, but I'm going to read a little thing. These bracelets, they're selling out front. They're, I decide bracelets, and they sell T-shirts, too, because there's something I want to read from the book uh, that this organization, one of these, a guy that read this book wrote me and, uh, and said that this meant a lot to him because he had somebody in his family that died. And um, so we made these T-shirts in his honor, and and all the proceeds go to LGBTQIA and all the proceeds from the bracelets. But I'm gonna get up to read this. Sorry if I have camel toe. I didn't know then that my brother's death was defining me. I didn't know that I had the ability to say no to being defined by death. Now I was with a person, Dan, who could help me process what happened and turn the parts of me that acted like a nine-year-old into a self-actualized adult who had come to a better understanding of what it means to dig deep and admit that you are in pain, thereby beginning the process of relinquishing that pain. I was in a place where my brother dying no longer had to define my existence. It is part of who I am, perhaps the biggest part, and it may have helped steer me in a certain direction, but it is not all of me. I define me. No event or person does this. I define me. I decide who I am and I decide how I'm going to behave and I choose to do better. To look more carefully, to trudge deeper, to think about other people's pasts and not judge someone for doing or handling something differently than I would. To understand my limitations and my shortcomings, that is my growth edge. I decide to be better. We all can be better. Thank you, guys. Thank you, New York City, thank for coming on. And thank you to Natasha Leone for your very professional interviewing. Did you enjoy that episode, Brandon? I did.
2: You're not going to like all the compliments, but I like that the tour has been a mix of like, social issues and comedy.
1: Yeah. And while uh, listeners are listening, I mean, it was, you know, we're trying to have as little repetition as possible, which is hard because we're covering the same topics, but we're managing to do it. So thank you for bearing with us on that front. If you hear like a theme or a topic more than once, you know, suck on it.
2: Speaking of social issues, there are a couple of things that you might want people to check in on, like your Accountable page. Yeah. Oh, by
1: the way, I have a Accountable page, which kind of puts up articles of things that are happening and ways to kind of help or get involved with causes that you care about, um, and I've joined, I'm still partners with Emily's List, so I, if you follow me on Twitter, if you're looking for candidates, I'm always promoting Emily's List. You should follow Emily's List, too, because they always are looking for progressive women. To run all across the country and they keep you apprised of all the exciting women that come into the field. And people who run for the very first time, you know, to, to people who've ran before. Anyway, so Emily's List is good. I have a countable page. And and I'm coming to Nashville and New Orleans. New, Nashville Friday night and New Orleans Saturday night.
2: And I'll be at those shows. And you
1: can get your tickets at LiveNation.com and then I'm coming to Australia in October. And New Zealand. I'm coming to Auckland, New Zealand October 9th. And I will be adding more dates. Canadian dates are coming. I just am trying to get my schedule. And uh, yeah, thank you guys for listening. And Brandon, thank you for being so, um, oh God, what is the word? We'll find it.
2: Don't worry it. Okay,
1: week. thank you. Tune in next week when we find out the word to describe Brandon. Life Will Be the Death of Me is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
0: Looking for a new career but don't want to spend four years in college? Then check out ECPI University. Through our year-round accelerated programs, you can earn a bachelor's degree in just 2.5 years, and associate's in 1.5, or earn your master's in as little as 15 months. Whether it's technology, healthcare, business, criminal justice, or the culinary arts, our hands-on programs can help you reach your professional goals. So what are you waiting for? Visit ecpi.edu to learn more. Hi, I'm Robert Evans.
1: I'm Katie Stoll.
0: I'm Cody Johnston. When this year started, we were doing an election
2: podcast, which is called Worst Year Ever, and it's a podcast that we do. But then this year became way worse than an election, and now there's a plague and a series of general uprisings and federal agents shooting us all in the street. And our podcast has turned into more of, you know, kind of a a general survival guide for the apocalypse that we're all in the process of uh, hopefully living through.
1: We don't just talk about bleak things. We also bring interesting people in to to interview and answer our questions and shed light on stuff that we don't all normally talk about.
0: Listen to Worst Year Ever on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.